Hi, welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We're very glad you're joining us today and we hope this message inspires you, builds your faith and encourages you in the things of God. Enjoy the message. us to go a little bit deeper than kind of sloganing Christianity. I want us to, and I believe the Holy Spirit would have us to go deeper into his word this morning. And again, maybe next week is again, there was so much here this morning. I, I, I was kind of overwhelmed putting this together. There's so many areas that we can go on to talk about the new covenant. And, uh, but, uh, uh, so it's going to probably lead into another couple of weeks. So I hope you're enjoying uh, this so far. Last week we started off by quoting Luke 22, when Jesus said, Likewise, also after, uh, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup in the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And we looked at that. We looked at the enormity of the statement. And, and if you haven't caught that sermon, I encourage you to go back and look at that, because it starts to set maybe a wet, wetting the appetite for delving more into the Word of God to understand and to build our faith, because the more we understand of these truths, the more our faith will grow, friends. The more confident you become as a Christian. Not cocky, not arrogant that you can win arguments. This is so that you can win an argument against the enemy and your flesh as to why you can come into the presence of the Lord on your worst of days. Amen. Can you imagine having that sort of argument within you that, that on the very worst day of your life, that you can actually have a confidence going into the presence of the Lord and understand why? I think that's liberating for us Christians. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. That was, that was said by Augustine, um, you know, all those centuries ago, one of the early fathers of the church, and it's, it's very true. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So when we come into the New Testament and we see Jesus talking about um, this is the cup in my blood of a new covenant shed for you, you know, then we best begin to understand what this all means, friends, because it's far-reaching. The implications are enormous. We understand that the Bible roughly has seven covenants. Last week, again, just referencing back, and that the first covenant in the garden, the garden uh, with Adam, God had a covenant. We understand that because the scripture tells us, as with Adam... You have, they have transgressed your covenant, so we understand there was a covenant in the garden. The Bible doesn't give a huge amount of, uh, you know, uh, doesn't use the word actually in the first few chapters of Genesis, but it implies a covenant, covenant of works, where Adam worked the garden and garden, uh, he named the animals. And, and of course, we see the great fall of man there under the deception of the, uh, of the enemy. And, um, and again, the, uh, the usurping of God's plan. But really, I want to give you hope this morning that salvation, as we know it in the New Covenant, started in eternity past, friends. Amen. John, in the book of Revelation, says, they saw a lamb as if he was slain before the foundations of the world. There's something very eternal about the plan of salvation. Again, I want to reassure every Christian that when Adam and Eve fell in the garden and when sin seemed to win the hour, it didn't throw God into a panic. He didn't run back into heaven's courts and say, Michael, what are we going to do? Adam has messed everything up. Gabriel, have you got a solution for me? What can we throw at this thing? Amen. There's something about this because it is a plan of salvation. It's not chaos. It's not response. It's a plan. 
the perfect plan of salvation. My son Jordan wrote a song. We were singing it in church here for such a long time. I had no idea he wrote it. I, I think it's one of the best songs I've, I've listened to. You would say that, of course, because he's your son. But no, it's, and I love the words, your perfect plan of salvation. When you understand how perfect it is and how powerful it is, it has such a far-reaching, as I say, uh, reach into your very soul. It produces worship. It produces a confident Christian. It produces a broken Christian because the, the true gospel leads you to see how ineffective your own abilities are to win the favor of God and humbles you to a place of a child where you simply receive from God the mercies that come from his work and his grace. And so in the garden, there's, it's a plan, the plan of salvation. There's, a, there's a, a famous line that I love, to, I love to share. I've shared this in court church about two years ago uh, when we talked about the new covenant. But there's a, there's a verse, and you could say it, it is a foundational building verse uh, of the Old Testament. It is, it is pro- arguably the, the most powerful verse uh, up to this point of the word of God. And it's Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. A lot of the reformers and theologians back in the 16th, 15th century called it the proto-evangelium. That was a Latin term which meant the first gospel. That's where we get the word prototype. First gospel preached. And uh, there's going to be a slide, maybe go up there. Hopefully you can see that slide this morning. But it it is the gospel that God himself declared to Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, in the midst of their failure, you know, they went off and they, they, they took fig leaves and they knit together clothing from that and they hid themselves from God. And, uh, you know, their eyes were opened and, uh, you know, to, to other possibilities. But yet those possibilities were going to lead to death. But Adam wasn't convinced of that. Adam thought that, well, I messed up in the garden. I can make my, my way, I can fix it, yeah, as is the human dilemma, you know, you, you may look at your own life today and say, well, I'm the one that messed up my life, but I'll be the one that fixes it, and I want to tell you that that's not the reality, the reality is only half true, you're the one that messed up your life for sure, but you won't be able to fix it, there's only one that can fix it, but Adam didn't quite believe that, well, Adam didn't quite take that, and so God, and you, in the garden, he, he speaks this incredible prophetic word, it's the gospel preached by God himself. The first gospel message ever preached is the Proto-Evangelium. When he spoke to the enemy, he also spoke to Adam and Eve. He said, I will put enmity between you and the serpent, between your seed and his seed. You will bruise his heel, and he will crush your head. Actually, there's another slide, and Ben will throw it up in a second. That's a little bit even more telling of what that means. It means that there's going to be forth a seed from the human race. That will undo everything that the devil did in the garden. There was a promise that God put in. And it's amazing, the friends, that salvation is very easy for even Adam and Eve back then to believe the gospel would have been counted for righteousness. Just to simply faith in God's promise that he was going to send someone that was going to fix the problem was all that was required for salvation. Even then, we see it all the years later in Abraham, of course, because the story moves on, of course, in, in your Genesis storyline. Where eventually the man Abraham, the father of the faithful, he comes out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. I was showing uh, one of our folks this morning that, uh, in, in, interestingly enough, when you actually do your Bible chronological sort of uh, timeline, you see that Shem, who was one of the sons of Noah, and Noah himself, and Abraham were all alive for 37 years. It's an interesting thing. Many Christians reading their Bibles don't realize that, but they were on the planet living the same world for 37 years before Shem died off and, 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 and Noah died 
off. And Abraham, of course, is hearing the messages. Now you have to read into your scripture there, but it doesn't take a lot of imagination to understand that his great-great-great-grandfather was Shem when he did the genealogies, and that he would have heard the story of the Garden of Eden. That he would have heard from Shem, who was of the Semitic line, that was going to be the priest of Noah that would eventually come to Semitic grace and out of Abraham's loins would come the promised seed of a savior. And it would take, take much to see that that message was uh, disbelieved after hundreds of years. But now Abraham, Abraham's family, his father and his family all became paganized and lost the revelation of God or turned away from the revelation of God, turned towards, more towards the earthly things, the things that were created. The elements moved away from faith and moved into works. But there was something about Abraham. God called him. I can only imagine that something in the heart of Abraham was stirred when he heard the stories of Noah. How God made a covenant with Noah, a covenant of grace. It's known as the covenant of grace with Noah. The Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And this man and his sons and that race are there and they're speaking. You know, God has promised us, Abraham. There's going to come a seed. He's going to crush the head of the very one that deceived us in the garden. He's going to pay the debt to God. He's going to fix the whole problem. Adam heard about it and Eve heard about it. You know, and, and you can imagine that preaching and hearing of that message because that is the gospel. You cannot be saved outside of the gospel. You cannot be saved out of the good news, friends. The good news is that God has a plan. Amen. The good news is that salvation belongs to the Lord. You go to the book of Revelation and you see them. And this salvation belongs to the Lord who sits upon the throne. Salvation is the plan of God. Salvation is the heart of God. Reconciliation is the very nature of God. That he loves men and women. And yet God is faced with the dilemma. Not us, friends, so much. It's God is faced with the dilemma. As much as us. God makes us, friends. He creates. Yet we go our own way. And he has to find a way to break us down that we would receive his salvation otherwise we would come in to the natural conclusion of our exclusion of God and actually fact, I was watching the famous atheist a few years ago he was saying that nothing would change with the death of God that was his mantra that God was dead and tomorrow we could prove there was no God society would go on the same and nothing would change I beg to differ I beg to differ 150 million people put to the sword in China when they said there was no God. 57 million put to the sword in the Soviet Union when they said there was no God. You go right into Pal Paul and you go right into all those totalitarian systems, into Vietnam and Laos and all those areas where life became cheap because it had no intrinsic value, because there's God that gives value to you. The highest value you can imagine God has already placed upon you, which was the blood of his own son. I love Pastor Parker. brought a message here last Wednesday night. Again, I'm going to plug it. It was phenomenal. I'm hoping he's going to do a part two. But he started, he started to talk about his own son. He had to bring his baby boy. It's been one of the hardest things to see these babies born under COVID because us pastors, we love seeing life coming into the church. And now we're excluded from seeing these little ones coming in. And we're looking forward maybe next month, Patrick, to God willing, we get back in here with our church family. But he said, I had to bring my son in for tests. They took vials of blood out of him. And he said it, it, it touched his heart to see these, to see the vials of blood of his son. And yeah, it's his little boy. They're going to do DNA tests, they're checking things and growth patterns and all that sort of. Make sure his bloods are good. And you can imagine the heart of 
the Father and his precious son, friends. We talked about the precious blood of Jesus. We talked about the uniqueness of the blood of Jesus. We talked about the ninth blood group that raised a lot of eyebrows last week, but I still stand by it, amen. It was a, not just a human blood, friends. It was a divine blood. God blessed us with his blood. Acts chapter 20. Friends, I want to tell you, it's a phenomenal story that's breaking out in the pages of our Bible. As you journey back and journey with and kind of get a grasp of it, it will infuse now, I know there's many that will switch off, try to go sleep because they just want to ease up messages. I want to challenge you today as a Christian to stop being so superfluous with salvation. And don't be so religious in your understanding. All right, call, no, these, these things are too big for me. They're not too big for you. You're looking at a man that left school at 15 years of age. <laughs> I say it all the time. I was in remedial English class. I was in Mrs. Ruddle's English class. There were six of us out of a school of nearly 550 students. And we weren't there because of our brilliance, I can tell you, okay? Not at all. We were, we were the bucket list there. At the end of it, we were, we were the... Yeah, God takes the foolish. And God, should, God began to grip my heart, even with my lack of education. I'm not a great reader, but yes, I have a desire for God. And if you have a desire for God, you don't read, 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 read. You just need to read the right things, amen? The Word of God. For instance, amen. The number one book, still the bestseller in the world today. Open your heart to God in honesty and pursue Him. And that's what we're trying to encourage you, Christian. Grow in your faith, grow in your understanding. Don't be kind of putting out some sort of religious sayings out of your mouth with little understanding of what they mean. That's garbage, friends. That's nothing. That's someone else's experience. You can't be quoting someone experiences. You cannot be quoting someone else's answers. The world will extract the truth from you one way or another and they will expose whether you're the real deal or just a part. You understand what I mean? Monkey, monkey, do. We don't want you to be like that here at Court Church. Put up your hands, put up your hands. Clap your hands, clap your hands. Do this, do that. Like some sort of, We can teach a monkey to do those things, friends. But this needs to be an apprehending of the truth of God because the hour we're coming into every life is needed. Every Christian must be at their post. Everyone must be ready to give an answer to the hope that they possess. Everyone must be a defender of truth. Every man, every woman must be at the stockades, friends. They must be at the blockades, whatever it's called, the rampart. They must be ready to engage this world with answers. Mr. Wesley said that my heart was full of love and my mouth was full with arguments. It's no use having a load of love, friends. That just comes emotionalism. With that, you need an understanding of the fortification of that love and the reason why you can stand so confidently. So when Monday morning comes, there's no Christians around you. you the Bible says those that know their God shall do great exploits. There's knowing, there's that dra- traveling in, there's that apprehending. And you can imagine how Abraham, all those years later, a world flood has happened. Sin had, went ravaged through. The, the entire environment of our world changed, friends. The, the natures of, of created beasts changed. The nature of man changed because of sin. Something descended into the atmosphere of the world. The Bible says, I saw it, Satan fall like lightning. He became like a prince of the power of the air. He took up ownership because it was no longer under the principality of God anymore. Man had rejected God. Satan was very clever. He didn't possess everybody. He didn't need to. They were possessed by their own flesh. He doesn't need it with demons and people. He does it in some places, friends. Most places he doesn't. In the West, he doesn't. We're possessed by our flesh and our lusts. So run by them. He just says, he just gives you the arguments to say it's okay. It's okay to be the way you are. 
That's the way you're born. Oh, if you want to follow that likelihood, should, you know, the murderer is born a murderer, and the pedophile is born a pedophile. I don't care what way you're born. I want to tell you there's a solution to how you were born. Amen. There's someone that can set you free. There's someone that can cleanse you. There's someone that can break the power of sin over your life. And that's the gospel message. And you can imagine how Abraham, he's hearing the stories from Shem, his great-great-grandfather. He's seen old Noah walking around. He said, did you really spend 120 years building that ship? I can see it in your body. You're bent over. You're ready to meet God. The rest of the world fell into unbelief, but not Abraham. Abraham believed God. The Bible says it was to him for righteousness. Phenomenal, friends, when you begin to follow this story. And Abraham is hearing a message that was in the distant past from a garden where man came into consciousness and came into relationship with the creator and yet rejected that for what he thought was something greater, self-elevation, self-glorification, true understanding, works and knowledges that apart from God he could be fulfilled. Has anything changed, I ask you? In the philosophy and the thinking of man today, has anything changed? Is there anything new under the sun? Oh, we're in Eden today in Netflix, friends. We've never had it so good. Oh, I know there's a pandemic. But friends, most of you still go and press a button and the light comes on. And you go to the soffit, faucet and the water comes out. Yeah, you've never had it so good. We may moan and groan, but until you go back 200 years, you might have something to talk about. You're in the garden today, but yet in that garden of opportunity and prosperity and life, there's a misery there. And you think, oh, I can make myself better without God. Oh, I'm telling you, that is of the enemy. Man doesn't need God. God is a stick to lean on. Oh, let me tell you, he's not just a stick to lean on. He's a rock to build on. Hallelujah. Oh, when you say you Christians need a, a stick to lean on. No, no, we need something far bigger than a stick. We need a rock. Stick ain't going to work, friends. Self-help groups are sticks. Mantras are sticks. Your yoga is a stick. You're looking in the mirror and repeating mantras about yourself and your future, your hopes, your dreams. They're all going to fall apart. It's a rock you need. And Abraham is gripped with the story of Genesis 3.15. I'm going to send a seed. Can you imagine when the Lord said, I'm going to give a seed through you, Abraham. Can you imagine? Now, you see, we interpret this very, very meagerly. I'm going to come back to him in a moment. Salvation, Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium, this gospel preached. Just to show you how much love God has for this world. And God announces salvation, not just in Genesis 3.15, but if you go to Genesis chapter 5. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, sometimes reading my Bible becomes a bit difficult. There's, there's, there is chapters that tend to, Matthew's gospel at the beginning, you know, going through genealogies and... And earth is all this about, you know, and you know, they laid me down. I wanted to turn just quickly there. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read a couple of verses first, and after that, there's going to be a slide we're going to put up so you can see it. But basically, and the reason I'm sharing this with you is because I want you to walk the journey. The fall of man has happened. We saw that last week. There's a division. There is a dilemma for God. How does a holy God make a way to have a relationship with sinful men? Because that's the true dilemma. The dilemma is God's Salvation belongs to the Lord. God wants to save you. God wants friendship with you. God doesn't want you to be excluded from his his heaven. He wants you in. There's something universal and powerful in the heart of God, but yet he's given you free agency. And in that, he makes his appeal through the proclamation of the gospel. And so it's powerful to see that even a man 
how has, has been put out of the garden. We know the story from the Genesis story. And we begin to see how sin has come into the human race and begins to go like a, a wildfire. We see one, one brother killing another brother out of jealousy. It's, it, you know, murder comes into the world. And then it's, it's, it's exponential after that. You can't change the nature of the beast now, friends. You know, that's what disappoints me when I talk to people. You know, they don't even seem to see. I've talked to people about this pandemic. And they all think that somehow when this lifts, the world is going to be so much more virtuous. And we're going to be more, so much more contemplative about our life and our existence and the planet and one another. You know, and we're all going to be kind of doing a come by. And I'm saying, you know what? Your nature is going to revert to what? You will have these little moments of inspiration. We all do, myself included. But you will reversion back to what you are again. And people don't like to hear that. There's nothing new under the sun. They said the same after World War I. Oh, the war to end all wars. You know, less than 20 years later, friends, bang again. And then there's an arms race. Then there's a cold war. And I'll tell you, friends, there's more wars going on today than has been in the history of man. More people have died in the 20th century than in all other centuries put together from war. Can you think that? For, can you even figure out the logic of that? Just the 20th century, more people died from wars. In the 20th century, Morris Ford, resident historian, will confirm it with you later on, than in every other century before that. The viciousness of man. The nature of the beast, friends, it's just raging. It's awful. How God has any time for any of us is a mystery to me. But it's a truth of truths that God still loves you. His way we're children. He loves them as a father. As a mother hen, he says, gathers her chicks. I'm trying to gather you. The heart of God comes rapidly through the promises that he's going to send. And so when we get to chapter 5, so we went to chapter 3, the proto-evangelium, there's a promise, a commitment. He's going to send a seed. Adam and Eve go out thinking that, well, do you know what? We, did, we, we definitely messed that one up, Eve. But let's really try to make a way back to God. Let's try to build a way to him. That's religion. Let's try to find... It's a, simply trusting what God said he would do, that would be the very righteousness that Abraham had all those centuries later. God writes his salvation, friends, right through this book. And when you go to chapter 5 of Genesis, let me read you the first couple of verses. These are the family records of the descendants of Adam. On the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness, in the likeness of God. He created a female. When they're created, he blessed him and called him by, he called him man. Adam was 130 years old when he had a child in his likeness according to his image, and he named him Seth. Adam lived 800 years after the birth of Seth, and he fathered sons and daughters, so Adam's life lasted 930 years, and he died. And it goes on. You can, Adam is his, he gave uh, birth to Seth. Seth, Enoch, Kilian, uh, Kilian gave birth to Mahalon. Mahalon gave birth to Jared. Uh, Jared gave birth to Enoch. Enoch gave birth to Methuselah, Methuselah gave birth to Lamech, and Lamech gave birth to Noah. So I'm just, I've just read, I've just given you a synopsis of 32 verses without having to read the whole lot to you. It is a chronological order in chapter 5 of Genesis of these famous men. Adam, Seth, Enoch, Killian, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. And so, wow. Wonderful, thank you. Thank you for that. You've now just really set me to sleep. <laughs> But you know, he's written his salvation everywhere, friends. This is the heart of God. For in the name of each one of these chronologically named individuals, something special. Each name has, is a Hebrew name that means something very strong and something very powerful. 
going to try to put it up my iPad here because I need to see it in the camera in front of me. Genio the ge geology of Genesis chapter 5. Adam, his name means man. Seth, his name means appointed. Enosh means mortal. Kenanan means sorrow. Mahalel means the blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah means his death shall bring. Lamech means the despairing. And Noah means comfort and rest. And so when you read the chronological meaning of every name, it means man appointed moral sorrow, mortal sorrow. But the blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. This is the word of the Lord, friends. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of God, the Old Testament concealing and the New Testament revealing. And as we look back now to the lens of the New Testament, we can see the pattern and hand of God going all the way through the Bible. Amen. There's another slide. Ben would put it up. I think it's from, um, it's from actually Hebrews chapter 10. And it says, I'm, I'll actually read it all to you. Have you got it up, Ben? ben thank you. I'm using a different translation, Ben, so it doesn't matter. I'm going to read from verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, he said, as he was coming into the world, he said, You did not want, us, want sacrifices and offerings, but you prepared me a body. Oh, hallelujah. You prepared me a body. A body thou hast prepared for me. This is, what, this is the confirmation of Genesis 3 and verse 15. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I, say, then I said, see, I have come. It is written about me in this volume of the scroll to do your will, O God. Another translation says, it says, puts it this way. I am revealed in the volume of the book for it is written of me. Hallelujah. The entire book, the entire story, the entire revelation of the is the revelations of Jesus Christ. Even though he's veiled to some in the Old Testament, as we come into the New Covenant and the New Testament, understand there's this incredible revelation of truth of who he is and what he has accomplished. I'm revealed in the volume of the book, for it is written of me. After he says above, you did not desire our delight and sacrifices and whole offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are Offered according to the law, he said then, see, I have to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. But this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of the Jesus Christ once for all. We will come back and decrypt that at a later time. But here we have Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium. Genesis chapter 5, where the genealogy lay out the plan of salvation that that man appointed moral sorrow, the blessed God, shall come down teaching and his death shall bring to despairing comfort and rest. And this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to go all the way later to Genesis chapter 15 again. And God has another encounter with Abraham. I'm trying to build a chronological order. And there's many deaths and rights that we could go down with much teaching in it. I'm trying to bring it this morning in a way that you will delight in the execution of what God has had to endure. When he talks about the long-suffering of God, let me tell you, it's long-suffering indeed. Because we are a stubborn people. We are stiff-necked. We are so full of self-belief. 
We are so believing in ourselves. We are the messers up, so we will be the fixers up. I don't even know if that's good English. But you know what I'm saying, that somehow in the core of our pride, even in our fallen pride, there's this desire to prove that we can fix ourselves, make ourselves happy. It's there, it's right, in, it's in every religion. And in the great sin of religion is the pride that comes from accomplishing whatever religious rituals they ask you to do. I've seen it and I've been part of it, friends. Thinking I'm king of the hill and top of the heap because I'm able to say more Ave Marias and, uh, and glory bees than the next one or go to whatever religious practice they ask me to do, friends. And yet the Bible says, by these rituals, by these palsies, efforts, shall no man be justified. The Jews, of course, had the greatest covenant. They had the revelation of God through Moses. We spoke briefly about that last night. That's really predominantly the old covenant. Even though the covenants that were made with different individuals. The nation covenant was the Mosaic covenant, the legal binding agreement between God and the nation of Israel based upon obligations and moral and legal requirements, requirements on both sides. And so this was, this was the great revelation to them that they had blood sacrifices, they had rituals, and they had things to do, feasts to observe, Sabbaths, fasts, and things to do. And they loved the whole idea that, well, you know, we can do that can do that no problem never quite understood when the when the bible says but if you break one you break them all because we're dealing with perfection when we deal with god so they, they said god said i'll give you 10 simple commandments keep them perfectly but you break one you break them all because i'm perfect and i, I god will have to i will have to find a way to justify the equation here because I'm also holy, I'm also just. And so when we come before God, we have all these incredible attributes of God, the justice, the holiness of God, the love of God, all these incredible revealed attributes of God to us. He cannot deny himself, amen, who he is, his nature. His desire is friendship with this world, but yet to be fixed. And so the Mosaic system was in place, and the Jews loved it. They still love it, friends. And all religion loves it, but I don't quite get that grasp why if you break one you break them all even as a christian i also found it to be a little bit uh, yeah that's a, you can't is that the small to the contract there god you know what i mean and uh, until i heard of a man making an egg an omelet one time out of 10 eggs and i've given this analogy before i think it's a great analogy mind you andy just stop laughing it's a good analogy <laughs> i need to find another one but the man goes to make an omelet, uh, omelet out of 10 eggs and he cracks the first two or three eggs fabulous gets to the fourth egg and it smells really bad if any of you have ever broken a, a bad egg you know the smell is it's pretty bad it's pretty crass and he's there he's oh man I don't want to throw out all those good eggs you know and I've got a, six more eggs good eggs in hand so what I'll do is I keep putting good eggs in on top of the bad one and you know and, and so oh only one bad work there but all the other ones Good. So he breaks the other six good eggs, puts it in, mixes it up, makes an omelet, gives it to his wife, and then he gets the life insurance policy the next day because she dies from salmonella. And that's what we try to do to a holy God. That's what religion tries to do. Religion tries to, to, to in some way, you know, make its way and build its bridge to God through its good works. But when we break one, we just stuck a bad egg in their friend, and we try to serve it up to God with some of the good ones added. And I want to say, God eating it. It. God's not fooled by that. The fact is, something in your nature that needs to be dealt with. It's not just even about your desire to be right with God. It's your nature in thinking that you can make yourself right with God. 
And so the Mosaic law, the Bible tells us, is to bring about a frustration in man so that we would be ready to receive the promise of Genesis 15. All God wanted was, was Adam to believe him, and he was saved. All he wanted was Abraham to believe him, and Abraham did believe him. And it was credit to him righteousness. And so Galatians tells us, not to the seeds as in many, but the seed which is one, Genesis 3.16. And that seed is Christ. So I just want to read, I'm going to leave you with this, I believe, very powerful picture type of the new covenant. Next week, I'm going to go much more into how it differs, and I hope this would be on the journey. You have to stay with this journey. As I said at the beginning of this message, if you want to become lighthearted with your Christianity, switch off now and turn on Hillsong's or something. But if you want to, if you want to really mind God with us today and find out the depths of the salvation and glorify God from a, from, a, from a righteous understanding of his covenant. Stay tuned. Stay with it. Amen. Verse 6 of chapter 15. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him his righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Our Lord, how can I know that I will possess it, he said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, this is interesting. He's going to be sacrificed here. I'll read down a bit more. It, here you have, when you, when you look at this, the three-year-old is the prime of the animal. It's the prime. It means an animal in its prime. So there's a, a prime calf. There's a prime goat. And, and, and so everything in the Jewish sacrificial systems already here, you had, it's a total picture of a total sacrifice because you had the poor man's offering. The poor man mightn't be able to bring a lamb or a calf or a goat in, but he could bring a turtle dove, you know, and so that was the poor man's offering for sin when they came into the temple. And so this is a picture that this is a complete sacrifice. This is a very whole sacrifice. And remember what I just quoted you from Hebrews. I'm, I'm revealed in the volume of the book, for it is written of me. See, the proper way to read your Bible is to all of a sudden start looking for Christ. When you start to look for Christ, you're going to find revelation. So in this passage, there's something here in the ancient scriptures that is concealed, but the new covenant reveals it. Do you understand? You could just say, you could just look at this as just being covenant with Abraham about getting some land in the Middle East, and that's what is established. I tell you, it's far higher than that. The simplest meaning of scripture for people that just rest upon this is as a promise of land to the Jews. Uh, I put it to you, it's promise of land, but a heavenly land as well, friends. Amen. Not just an earthly utopia, because that's not what this world is about, an earthly utopia. It's about a heavenly utopia. It's about a new heavens and a new earth. Amen. And so this is the, if you can get this understanding that Abraham is asked to bring these components to a, a sacrifice to the Lord. It's a covenant that's going to be made here. And it encompasses everything of the Jewish laws that said, the rich man and the poor man. And I'm going to tell you this because you know it already. What is the most complete sacrifice in the Bible? Of course you know it. The complete sacrifice in the Bible is the person of Jesus Christ. So we see in the type of Christ here in this covenant. It's the perfect sacrifice. And so this, let me just read it on for you. So he brought all of these to him split them down the middle and laid the pieces opposite each other but he did not cut up the birds so he cut the sacrifices in half and he, he made a pathway piece one half here one half here one half there one half there one half there 
and half there, and the whole birds left, left and right. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, and Abraham drove them away, and the sun was setting, and a deep sleep fell on Abraham, or Abram as he was known at the time. And suddenly a terror and great darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know this for certain, your offsprings will be strangers that does not belong to them. They will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. Speaking of the Egyptian enslavement of the people. However, I will judge the nation they will serve. And afterwards, they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried in old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet been reached to full measure. Verse 17. But when the sun had set and it was dark... A smoldering firepot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. This is all when I, uh, uh, just a couple of things going on here. This is happening when Abraham is asleep. So he's getting revelation in dream about what's happening. So we've got this sacrifice. Abraham is hearing the plan that your offspring, he's going to have offspring. Wow. And you're going to be enslaved for 400 years, but I'm going to bring them out. And they're going to deal with the Amorites, which is a picture of the enemy, the devil, of course. And all this is allegorical, and it's also literal as well, friends. It's deep, just a literal. And so as sleeping still, this incredible thing happens at this sacrifice. At this sacrifice, the animals are split in part. The birds are left and right. The birds of the air have been pushed away. Abraham is still asleep. And this smoking oven, or you could say a pillar of, it's like a, a, a cloud of smoke. And then this burning torch. And so you get a picture here. And again, this picture is only extrapolated because it is the New Testament concealed, okay? You got a picture of the Trinity here. You get a picture of the perfect sacrifice of Christ. You get a picture of the smoldering of the Holy Spirit. And our God is a consuming fire. And so we are brought into a, a picture type of something happening. There's many things going to happen. Before the ultimate has to happen. Do you understand? There's many roads will have to be, and many promises made to Abraham so that they could hold their positive confession that God was doing something when it went down what it looked like different tributaries to end up in the same sea of God. But yet, in the midst of all this, we have a picture here. I want to build it next week with you because I think it's so phenomenal where there's a call now being made God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's a picture of something yet to come. Because up to now and after for many, many years, all the other covenants would, would be man making a covenant with God. Man going into legal representation with God. But yet we have here our God who is a burning fire, the power of the Holy Spirit, the sacrifice of Jesus, of course. We've just come through Passion Week. We just, we just drank of the cup, friends, with little understanding of the enormity of these truths. With little understanding. Not just whispered, friends. Announced in the garden. Announced in Genesis, 3, uh, in Genesis 15. God is doing something. And you know what? Today, when you understand the power of the cross, when you understand the power of his blood, when you understand that power, the only effort that you and I must make, friends, and it will be an effort, is when those, those birds and those birds of prey come down and try to take away from the sacrifice of Calvary just rebuke them in the name of Jesus. 
When those thoughts of unbelief come and descend on your mind and say it wasn't enough, the sacrifice isn't enough, it's not good enough, it can't cover sin, you say, get behind me, Satan. The prince of the power of the air, the darkness descending on the cross of Jesus, that darkness descended. The prince and power of the air was gathered, friends. Darkness surrounded the whole earth, friends. But I want to tell you, they even had to say, surely this was the Son of God. Surely this was the Son of God. And when you understand, friends, something is building. Something is so powerfully happening, being announced in the early chapters of our great book of the Bible, that leads us to a journey of human failure and misery, rebellion, and turning away from God. But yet God desired lovingly to have a friendship with us and to save us and bring us back. And here Abraham is asleep, and God is covenant. I'm sure he doesn't even understand what that means. He doesn't even understand Trinity. He, he must have just grasped, uh, well, I don't know what that part means. There's, there's something very funky about a smoldering flax and a burning torch and going to the center of this sacrifice. But hallelujah, friends. The new covenant is concealed in the earth. Amen. And I want to bring you on that journey next week because we're going to find next week where that covenant is actually made. And this is not just conjecture. This is sustainable truth here that when you follow chronological journey of your bible it brings you onto absolute solid foundation a solid rock not a stick that you lean on not, not not a gospel that's me and jesus not a gospel that we do this together oh no no you're asleep abraham i'm sorry buddy you know i'm making you a promise i'm promising you i'm going to do something i'm going to give you a seed i'm going to provide a sacrifice myself and Later on, when you think it's going to be to your son, I'm going to have to you delay on that notion. Wow. See, Abraham was getting it wrong, wasn't he? Abraham was missing what the interpretation of the dream was. He thought it was surely going to be his it was going to be physical. And God says, I want you to even lay down that notion. Even as you slept, I made a covenant with myself. God the Father, God the Son. God, the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what the passion is about. This is the power that's unleashed 2,000 years later at Calvary, friends. A power that shakes the world and the powers of darkness. And though they fly above that cross, though they loom over it with their darkness and they do the boogie maboo and all funky behavior, friends, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus because that cross is enough. Hallelujah. I rebuke you. You have no hold anymore. Our God, the consuming fire, has walked among the sacrifice of Calvary and he has resurrected that same Christ and we stand, hallelujah, we stand on the power of a resurrected gospel, a proven gospel, a powerful gospel. In the words of the hymn writer, such, and of the writer in the New Testament, what such a, such a great salvation as he puts it. Hallelujah. Next week, I want you to come back with your scriptures, with your Bibles, take notes, go back over this. Send in some questions on Facebook if you've got questions about this. Uh, we're going to be dealing with this in streams in the desert as well. We'll always touch a new covenant. But this is so important. If you don't get your foundation right, Christian, if your foundation is bringing, as I said last week, your skewed lens to what salvation is meant to be, then you're, you won't have the victories that are promised you. Because my glory I give to no other. You know, 
hand, part, or place in justifying yourself before God. God has to do all the justifying. Thank God for that, because if we had some, I think there might be one or two brilliant ones among us that may possibly end up in heaven. Not really. I think they do. And they, they think they could boast, boast over their peers. But the gospel, when fully understood, it humbles the mightiest. And it puts us all on our knees and on our face, surrendering. It puts us out cold like Abraham. <laughs> You're out cold. I love it. Abraham's nothing to do. Abraham can't touch this. God comes down. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, I pray this morning. Lord, I moved. Lord, I moved. I moved in my own heart as I just revisit the eternal truths, God. It's the cup of the blood of the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me, Lord. Many don't even many this morning have little understanding of the power of that covenant. I pray, Jesus, Lord, even now the lights will come on, that praise will be going up, hands will be raised to you, Lord. Eyes will be opened, hearts will be opened. And as we go through your Father, more faith will grow, Lord. And the journey of your people will go from strength to strength, from glory to glory, image to image, even as by the Spirit of God. We thank you, Lord. Lord, your presence has been rich here at Court Church this morning. In the worship, in the songs, in the selection, everything, Father. And now, Lord, your word, Lord God, goes before us. We stand in it. We just don't lean in it, Lord. We stand on the work of another. And we bless you. We thank you for being with us, Lord. To God, glory this morning, great things he has done. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. If you have been touched this morning, maybe you're watching in. Maybe some of the things are cryptic. I'm trying to make it as simple as possible. I'm trying to teach, preach, and try to a little in between everything this morning to help you to see this beautiful truth. But I know one thing, that the Holy Spirit has brought you here this morning. It might be morning, you might be watching this now at nighttime later on. I don't know where you are, but God knows where you are. I want to say he's done all this for you. All this long suffering. Dealing with us, contending with our arrogance. Contending with our pride. Contending with our perpetual failure. Downright rebellion and evil. And I'm talking about all of us, friends. You're looking at the chief one in front of you today. And yet the story jumps off the page of a God that will go to such great depths to convince us of his love, to leave go of our own endeavor and to come to him and believe him. Now you're here today because God has brought you here to hear something that you need to hear. And I would pray you would open your hearts to Jesus. That you would, you would bow your knee. This is maybe the last chance you would ever have. I don't know. You might be sick. I don't know who you are, but God knows who you are. <clears throat> might never get to see you, but I'll see you in heaven, that's for sure. Should you open your heart to him and receive what he did for you and say, I put all my confidence in him. I put all my trust in him. I'm sorry for what I did, Jesus, but... I cleave to what you've done for me to fix what I've done wrong to you. Now, God, reveal your life in me. That's what you're asking. Let the Holy Spirit be revealed in you through the power of his new covenant. He promises your life. Hallelujah, Jesus. If you're a Christian and you're struggling in your faith, <clears throat> join the gang. We all struggle in faith. It's a struggle. It's a fight. It's a fight of faith. And it means fighting. It means contending with the birds of the air coming down and trying to 
second guess who you are. Uh, I don't know if that's really good. I don't know if that really works. You know, I've heard that a million times before. Well, here's a million and one, and hold on to it. Amen. Amen? Because you leave this message go, there is no message in this world, friend. There's no You're just going to get another X amount of years again to try to sort out your mess, and you haven't done a good job up to now. But you put your faith in Christ, you put your confidence in him, and say, I'm holding on, I'm contending, I'm fighting, I'm still standing by the grace of God, and I will hold on to the covenant of grace to the day I die. Oh, I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit will come to you, just as he came to Jesus in the garden, at the worst time when the demonic powers came down upon him. Do you know those demonic powers did exactly the same to Jesus in the garden? Gets Don't know if it'll work, Jesus. To the point that the natural man, Jesus, had to say, Father, if there's any other way, the pressure upon him to push away those doubtful thoughts. But nonetheless, not my will, but that will be done. Say that to the Lord today, Lord. Like what I'm in at the moment, I don't like the quandary, I don't like the emotional turbulence I'm in, Father. But even in that, I'm trusting you. The whole world is in that. Christian, can I encourage you as well before I close the service down? Be measured in your talk. God is doing something in this lockdown. We'll lift in time. <clears throat> we'll be back. And um, God's doing something. Be measured in your conversation. Our battle is not against flesh and blood or governments or lockdowns. Our battle is against the prince of the power of the air to tell him that, that we will not believe his lies, that Calvary is enough, and it's enough to get me through this lockdown and get me to heaven. God bless you, and God keep you. We'll see you here on Wednesday night for another message from the word of the Lord. And hope to see you here next Sunday for what will be part three on the new covenant. It may go to part four or five, six, who knows, but I'm enjoying it, and I hope you do too. God bless you. God keep you. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in with us today. I hope you were blessed. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.